Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Today I'm with Jake Xline, a friend and previous boss. Uh, Jake, thanks so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me, Jake. I'm excited to be here. I love it. We got Jake and Jake today. Uh, so, Jake, uh, before we dive in uh, to your experience with Tetralogy of Fallot, uh, for listeners, Jake was born with Tetralogy of Fallot. It's a congenital uh, heart disease. Uh, Jake, can you give us a, a quick background on yourself? Yeah, um, like you said, a uh, friend of, of Jake Fisher. We worked together in the solar industry for a couple of years. Uh, super great dude, but my name is Jake. Uh, I work for a company called Encore Solar, uh, the area manager here in Tulsa. Um, I, I've got a beautiful 18-month uh, baby girl who is just the absolute light of my world, a beautiful wife. Uh, wonderful life that we've created and uh, just recently moved out to the Midwest. Actually, we've only been out here for about a year and a half. We lived in South Carolina for a little bit. Um, I did a lot of growing up in Indiana, so the Midwest isn't something that I'm uh, unused to, but happy happy to be back out here. I love it. Yeah, the Midwest. The Midwest treats you right. We had some good times in the Midwest. Um, so sweet. Uh, so Jake, uh, where do we start? Tell us your story about having Tetralogy of Flow? Yeah, so um, te- there's a lot of history about Tetralogy of Flow. Uh, over time, I think now out of all, I mean, I know there's several different general heart defects, but Tetralogy makes up about 7 to 10% of all, all CHDs, um, which is actually probably the highest percentage of, of um defection but basically uh, as a heart defect it was something i was born with sorry i got somebody that keeps blowing up my phone but basically it was something i was born with uh so i had four abnormalities in my heart and so uh tetra is the the greek word for four um so that's where you get tetralogy so you got four abnormalities um uh, the right wall of my my heart was enlarged uh the pulmonary i was missing my pulmonary valve actually uh, the right ventricles in the heart uh, were uh, also enlarged or inflamed. And then I had sizable ho- holes in my heart, uh, several holes, actually. Uh, the largest one uh, ended up being about a quarter in diameter. Um, and so, as you can imagine, uh, I was born in 1992. Technology in the 90s wasn't quite what it is today in the, in, you know, the, the 21st century. And so uh, it, it actually went undetected. Uh, my, my parents didn't know what it was until I was about nine months old. Um, one of the things that Tetralogy is really known for is it's called blue baby syndrome. Um, uh, because one of the, the main side effects is with the pulmonary valve, you've got your, your oxygen rich blood or you've got your deoxygenated blood that flows through your pulmonary valve that, uh, enriches it with oxygen that, that flows it back through your blood. Um, well, with the pulmonary valve missing or it not working the way it should, there was a lot of deoxygenated blood that goes out into the blood, into the blood system or into the blood, bloodstream. And so, uh, tetralogy babies suffer a lot from stenosis. So, uh, they'll uh, routinely turn blue. And so it's a common side effect. Uh, as a kid, my lips would turn blue. I would turn blue. Uh, as a baby, my parents just thought I had a really good tan. I would just get really dark. And so they didn't really really know what was going on. Uh, But I was nine months old. My mom took me in for a, uh, just a a routine, maybe an ear infection, however routine that might be for an infant. But uh, she took me in and 
uh, our pediatrician looked at my mom. She's like, Deb, I, I think something might be wrong with Jake's heart. Doesn't sound right. You need to, you need to take him over to the big hospital uh, where we're at in Terre Haute, Indiana, where I grew up. Um, the there was one big hospital, and that's where we kind of went to, or that's that, that's where we went. And so um, a couple cardiologists checked me out, and they pretty much told my mom, "Hey, look, no, he's good. Uh, you're fine. There's nothing wrong there." So we went back to the cardiologist or the pediatrician. And Dr. Contreras was like, uh, no, I really think something's wrong. You should probably take him to, to Indianapolis. Uh, so we drove an hour away to Indianapolis, uh, went to Riley Children's Hospital, which uh, is where I continue to be seen at today, even though I'm almost 30. Um, but So uh, Riley Children's Hospital, I had a, a fantastic cardiologist named uh, Dr. Gerard. Uh, recently retired a couple of years ago, but Dr. Gerard was the one that, that took over my case. And I was like, yeah, he has tetralogy of flow. And so, um, they, they immediately took me in for what's called a, uh, a Blaylock shunt. And so for a lot of people that don't know, uh, Alfred Blaylock was one of the first people or actually performed the first ever heart procedure. Hmm. Uh, and he created a shunt. I did a lot of, he was the, the head surgeon for Vanderbilt university and uh, Johns Hopkins. And basically he created a shunt that was supposed to help with the, the stenosis to where it, it helps with uh, the blue baby syndrome. It wasn't meant to fix it, but it was meant to help prolong it. Um, which is actually crazy. I did some research recently and, and there's about a 40% mortality rate uh, if tetralogy goes undetected in the first year. So about 50% of babies die, which is, is pretty intense. Wow. Um, and so for me and uh, for my family, we, we had, I had uh, the first procedure done. So it was what, what's called a closed heart surgery. So I got a pretty gnarly scar that goes from here. They're asking around my back. Uh, when I was in high school, uh, it was always my pickup line. I always told girls I got bit by a shark growing up because it kind of looks like a shark bite so that was kind of my cool story uh but basically they gave me that so it just kind of went in and gave the doctors a little bit more visibility uh we didn't go straight into open heart surgery surgery right away um i'm, I'm not sure how long after and I, I know i told you this story but uh my mom took me just because she needed to kind of clear her head and spend some time with her family uh, her parents lived about or my, my nana and papa lived about about two hours, a little about two hours from <clears throat> where I grew up. Mm -hmm. And so we went to go visit then and I'm still like nine, 10 months old, just an absolute, just an infant. And thank God that my, my nan is, uh, was a nurse, um, Lord rest her soul. But, uh, my mom took me and she was giving me a bath one night and in the bath, I just went limp and she started screaming. My nana came in and, and she squatted me down because I guess one of the things as a baby is when you squat, uh, it opens up the airflows. And so it really helped increase the oxygen and being able to breathe, and um, which is, is really, really telling one of a nurse, but also what a human body does. Because my mom would say that when she would check on me at night, routinely I'd sleep with my butt in the air to be able to like help myself breathe. And as a nine-month-old, there's no way, no reason for you to be able to know that, right? But yeah. your body just just kind of knows what it has to do to be able to survive, right? Fight or fight or flight. Um, but once that happened, my mom's like, Hey, we need to get this thing fixed. And so, <clears throat> uh, by the time I was two, we got introduced to uh, my heart surgeon. Uh, his name is Dr. Brown. who actually just retired last year, but Dr. Brown has actually, um, one of the most accredited heart surgeons or pediatric, pediatric heart surgeons in the country. 
Um, he's done thousands and thousands of heart procedures for little kids. And um, he was working on a case, I think, uh, uh, for something called a cortex valve, so basically a plastic valve. And so I had my first open heart surgery at two and a half. Basically, I was one of, I think, roughly 200 test subjects for I don't want to say test subjects because it makes it sound like I'm a, uh, I was a lab rat, but um, basically 200 patients that had this cor- cortex valve. And the surgery was a success. Uh, basically, it was good at, at the time. Um, you know, gave me a plastic valve, so it helped uh, open up the, the blood flow to where now I'm able to have uh, oxygen, oxygen, oxygenated blood, basically to where I can function the way that I can. I still had a ton of restrictions because it was, you know, a fake valve. It wasn't going to grow with me. And uh, I couldn't play sports growing up. I couldn't play basketball. I couldn't play football. I um, really could only play baseball and golf. Um, another thing about me, I played college golf. That's, that's my, my, yeah. my hobby. That's what I consider what I'm best at. In life. This man is very um, good at golf. <laughs> you're too, you're too kind. <laughs> um, but basically so the life expectancy of that valve uh, was actually one to two years. It is typically the lifespan before they have to go and uh, replace it. And one of the things that I'm so grateful for for my parents is a lot of times whenever you have a family, and I, I can't imagine how difficult that must have been for them to see their two-month-old or their two their two-year-old. Right? I've got a daughter that's 18 months old. She's not much. Uh, not far from where I was when I was going to have my first open heart surgery. And I couldn't imagine, you know, sending her back for something as serious as that and what that must be like. Um, and so they made the, the decision early on that, Hey, you know, if everything's successful, we're going to let Jake have a normal life. Like we don't want to uh, wrap him up and bubble wrap and, and say that, Hey, no, don't, don't go, don't go have fun. Don't be a kid. And so, um, even at an early age, I was, I was very active, very, very involved. And even though I could technically play sports like basketball and football, I, I still played basketball and football. I just wasn't able to be a part of the team. Right. And so, you know, I think a big part of my, uh, big part of my physical success or my heart was the fact that I was able to stay active and that I did, I was able to, to have a lot of cardio, even with a bad heart and help strengthen that heart. Right. And uh, cause I know that there's a lot of different things that go. Uh, it can go different because all throughout it, every time I'd have my annual checkup, my cardiologist is like, man, it's, it's incredible how well he's doing and how great this valve is performing. Uh, and so, like I said, the average lifespan for that valve is only one to two years and it actually lasted me about 15. So we fast forward to March of 20, uh, March of 20, so 2019, so 2019. No, just kidding. Sorry. Wow. That was only two years ago. March of 2009. There we go. Uh, March of 2009. Terrible now. But March of 2009, uh, the cardiologist kind of sent my parents down. They're like, okay, look, his valve's fine. He's doing great. But um, the best valve on the market that we think would really prolong, you know, what he's doing, uh, it's called a a bovine valve. I'm sure there's like some scientific name to it, but basically it's a cow valve. Um, they're like, it's only FDA approved up to the age 18. And that's what we really think that would benefit him. And now, as you can imagine, I was doing really well. I was playing high school golf, um, was about to go play college golf. And so my parents were like, he seems to be doing fine. Like we don't want to just make him go have an open heart surgery just to go have an open heart surgery. 
And uh, some of the common things uh, within uh, tetralogy flows, you become tired often and easily. And I could tell that my physical fitness was was really kind of um, slow. I don't want to say slowing down, but I, I was getting tired quite a bit. And so my dad reached out to the, the surgeon, to Dr. Brown again. And Dr. Brown's like, hey, Mike, like I know this is a tough decision, um, but with all the research and science, if, the, if Jake were my son, this is a job that I would I would want him to have. And so it really put my myself and my family at ease as far as going into that. And so ultimately we decided that, okay, let's, let's go ahead and have this. Let's go ahead and have this surgery. And so um, basically what it was is it just pretty much repaired or replaced the, 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 the uh, plastic valve that I have. And so when you think of a tricuspid valve, it's called a tricuspid valve because there's three leaves in it and they're supposed to match, right? I don't know if you can see that, but mm-hmm. because I had a plastic, because I had a plastic valve, and it wasn't able to grow with me, the two leaves were extended through it. And so basically they wanted to, sorry, I think someone's a little unhappy, but, <laughs> um, but basically they wanted to replace that. And the cow valve now gives me a, an artificial art, a, a valve, an organic valve that, that works and processes and does the same thing that a human valve would do. Um, and so the, the surgery was scheduled for a week before my 18th birthday to, 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 to skirt in a, under the FDA FDA timeline. So a week before my 18th birthday, I had my second, uh, had my second open heart surgery. And so that pretty much shot my summer going into my senior year of high school. And so wasn't really much that I was able to do, but um, had a, a full recovery as far as the surgery went. Surgeries typically last. I think three to four hours. I was in and out in two hours. Doctor, uh, the surgeon, all the surgeons raved about how quickly and how uh, efficient of a procedure it was. And uh, I think for me, my recovery was about six weeks before I was able to do anything. And and then ever since then, uh, every every cardiology appointment I've had ever since then, the, the doctors were like, "Man, if you didn't know what you were looking for, uh, you'd almost think it's organic." But so very, very blessed and very fortunate to have the cardiologists and surgeons that I've had to be able to uh, have the team around me and, and to be able to have a, 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 the the medical things that I've done in my life to be able to give me a normal lifestyle and to be able to, to live a, a normal, happy life. Yeah. Oh, that's an amazing story, Jake. And it's so interesting to hear the, the different aspects in, in the timeline. Uh, something that stuck out to me was the getting the second opinion uh, and just that speaks to the importance and how vital it is to, to get second opinions. That it's a good, it's really good to get second opinions. I feel like a lot of people are usually like don't feel good about getting second opinions or don't feel the desire to. So that's amazing to hear that they literally found out that you had tetralogy flow on the second opinion. Yeah, yeah. And, and like I said, I mean, whenever you look at, the mortality rate there being about 40%, right? If it's not detected in the first year, I was nine months old, you know? And so, you know, how, how awesome it was and just the time frame that that was or that they came in to be able to have that second opinion and, and, you know, for my life to kind of be forever changed from there. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. And yeah, it's interesting too, because you mentioned 1992 technology a little different because nowadays most people are diagnosed prenatally with tetralogy flow uh, inching to hear nine months in. Um, I'm in, I'm curious. So since your high school procedure, your open heart surgery before your senior year of high school, 
Uh, what was it? So you had an annual checkup every year after that. Did you run into any issues at all? Has it been smooth sailing? Yeah. So as far as far back as I can remember, I've always done an annual checkup. And so what we'll do is when we go in, we'll do an EKG and then we'll do an echocardiogram. And then we'll usually sit down with uh, the cardiologist. And uh, for the longest time, uh, all I could remember was, hey, he's great. He just can't do anything. And I you know, for me as a kid growing up in Indiana, all I wanted to do was play basketball. So really the hardest part about every cardiology appointment was, Hey, can I finally play basketball? And the cardiologist would be like, no, <laughs> it like every single time without fail. I was like, ah, oh, dang, that sucks. And listeners um, need to so, know you have a nice lefty stroke. <laughs> uh, self-taught. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. I've still never played competitive, like competitive basketball. I in church league for a couple of years. Um, but I mean, if that's the worst thing that happened to me coming into it, you know, I had a had a pretty blessed, uh, pretty blessed, unfortunate story. But it was pretty routine up until uh, once I probably got to. Um, I did ha- in first grade. I had a minor. I, I did have a heart cath, but I, I don't quite remember what that is, so I can't go into too much detail. I mean, I don't remember the, the cause of that, so I can't go into too much detail on that. But um, as I got older, I'd say probably my freshman and sophomore year. Um, one of the things that, uh, when, when we talk about the tricuspid valve, one of the, one of the, the common, uh, side effects or common signs, uh, of prolonging of cardiology is, is regurgitation in the valve or just air leakage. And so over time, that was really what they were looking for is what's the percentage of air leakage and, and leakage coming out of the valve. Um, cause I guess there was a number that, that that's what kind of triggered it. And so, as I got older, naturally, the, the leakage became more and more and more significant. And so um, I want to say probably my freshman year of high school, they started also tacking on MRIs to uh, do a better job of really getting a clear image of, of that leakage and taking a look at the heart. And so after about three or four years of that was when, uh, I guess two or three years was when they decided, hey, you know, there's another good valve on the, on the market. We think that, that this is what's really going to benefit them. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So I'm, I'm curious through the years, what did doctors do well? And then what did doctors do poorly? You gave an example of the doctor talking to your parents uh, about if, if this was his kid, uh, this is what he'd do uh, with the newer valve went right before your high school, even though you're doing all right and how it put your parents at, mm. at peace of mind. That's, that's, that's amazing. And I think that's a really good example. Uh, the people that me like me that want to be doctors. So yeah, what do they do well? And yeah. What do they do poorly through the years? That's a well. That's a great question. Um, well, I'll start as far as poorly goes. To be honest with you, I can't really think of a whole lot of things in my life, or at least with me. I'm sure every every case is different. I'm sure if you talk to somebody different, they might have something other to say. But um, for me, and this is a big reason why even moving, you know. I lived in South Carolina. I lived 600 miles away from Indiana. Now I live 500 miles away from Indiana. Every year I still go back to my cardiologist. Uh, And a big part of that is because I felt like the care that they gave me over the last 28 years or 27 years or whatever, um, you know, was, was second to none. I felt like, you know, going in, I mean, even now to this day, 
the lady that still usually gives me my EKG was one of the, was probably the lady was the lady that gave me my EKG when I was like three years old. Now, she, like every year, now she's got kids that they play golf and we talk about golf. And so, you know, going in and having that hospital, and I'm sure a ton of it's in the charts, right? I mean, they look back on what the year was before and kind of refresh themselves on who it is that you're talking to. But, you know, everyone's super friendly and the, the hospital system itself is second to none there at Riley. Um, you know, so just the entire care process, we were, we were incredibly fortunate and blessed to, to be able to have the care that, that we did and, and just to have that personal touch and um, to really feel like you're valued as a part of the hospital system and as part of the, the nurses and the doctors and the cardio and the uh, surgeons, you know, is, is, was really incredible to be a part of. So um, I guess my, my advice to you wanting to, you know, hopefully obviously be a doctor someday is, you know, really give the same care to, to your patients and, and to, you know, those that come in to see you that, that you would give to your friends and family, you know, that's, that's going to go a long way for you. And I'm sure that there's doctors out there that, that probably struggle with that, but you know, obviously you're, you're a likable guy, you're a personable guy, you know, everyone, everyone loves himself some Jake Fisher. And so, <laughs> um, you know, just, I, I think that's something that would be natural for you to just, just be you and, you know, show, show that same form of care and, and treat everyone family because you know you never know you might have a kid come in someday that's you know two three years old and you know end up being 28 with a wife and a daughter and incredibly grateful for the impact that you had on their life you know 30 years later i love that yeah that's a beautiful thing man i love it well sweet jake thanks so much for your time before before we wrap up is there anything else you'd like listeners to know or anything else you'd like to say yeah man um I guess on a completely side topic, I just want to say how awesome you are and how much I love having you as a friend. So grateful for you. And, you know, I, I wish you the best of luck and your, your, your future endeavors as far as going into medical school. And ultimately I know you got a couple of different things that you want to do, but you know, I hope that, that you, 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 you tend to lead more on the, the, the heart, the, the cardiologist side of things and, our cardiology side of things because I'm a little, little, little biased towards that. But um, <laughs> one thing, I, one thing I, I, I will add, uh, not since I do have a daughter, uh, a lot of people wonder if it's uh, hereditary when you have a congenital heart defect. Um, so it actually only increases the likelihood of your child getting it by like 4%. But uh, we did have to have, or when you talk about technology right now, being able to find a, a neonatal uh care but basically uh probably about two months before mila was born we had um so you had your your uh, normal ultrasound and then we had to do one with a with somebody that was certified uh to be able to do an echo and so we went in and, and had, a, had an ultrasound done on done on uh, mila's heart before she was born just to make sure and everything checked out and i mean any kids that we have in the future will probably have to be the same just to you know be be to, to be safe rather than sorry but you know again just a huge shout out to what modern science has been and what, what modern technology has done yeah yeah absolutely that's amazing yeah i'm that's that's terrific for any parent out there to hear to you know feel at ease about anything like that so wonderful well jake thanks so much for your time yeah buddy i appreciate you having me on okay we'll see you brother